right into the text today, so go ahead and get your Bibles out and open them to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Get your Bibles out, open up the app on your phone, navigate to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to be using the uh, New Living Translation for our study today, so you can follow along as we track through our text, or we'll also put everything, you know, up here on the screens. Matthew chapter 7. Now, as you get ready, let me get all of us caught up on where we've been these past several weeks and the messages that Tim has been bringing you in this series. We've been looking at the most famous and influential sermon of all time given to us by Jesus himself early on in his ministry. And this is where you get all the, all the extreme stuff of, of Christianity, all the things that when said, people who hear it for the first time, they go, wait, wait, what, what did you just say? Or you get, you get to hear things like this. If, if you're poor, you're actually blessed. If people persecute you because you follow me, be very glad. If you show hatred towards someone, it's the same as having murdered them. If you lust after someone, congratulations, you just committed adultery. Don't take revenge out on someone. If someone hits you, don't hit back. If someone steals something from you, give them even more to take. <laughs> if, if someone asks you to do something for them, double it. Go the extra mile. Did you know that's where that phrase originated from? From Jesus. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. When you show generosity, do it secretly. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop that thing off. And if you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. I mean, I can just imagine. I, I can just imagine the original listeners of, of Jesus' sermon as they gathered around him on the mountainside that day. There had to have been these moments when, when people looked at each other and said, wait, did, did he just say... That, that's, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Or I, I think I must have heard him wrong. Did, surely he didn't just say that. But the Sermon on the Mount, definitely, it, it has some head-scratching moments for those who hear it for the first time. But it also gives very practical teaching on things such as, how does the Old Testament apply to my life now? How does God feel about divorce and remarriage? How should I pray? And, and does prayer even work? I mean, this is where we find the, the super famous Lord's Prayer that everyone knows. Watch out for the deceptiveness of wealth. How can we know if someone is really following Jesus? I mean, are we allowed to confront someone who's living in sin and heading down a wrong path? And what's a good general rule about how we are to be with others? This is where we get the golden rule, which is where, what we're going to be talking about today. I mean, everyone knows this one, even if they don't realize who it initiated with. The Sermon on the Mount was as countercultural then as its words are today. But it's super important to know that these words are what Jesus says describes the, the character of a, a true disciple, not the requirements to become one. 
And so today we're going to be looking through the last section of Jesus' core teaching found in chapter 7. And as we read it together, specifically verses 1 through 23, you're going to see a theme develop. As Jesus visually paints a picture for people in multiple ways. Does the true disciple of Jesus walk down the wide road of life that everyone else is on? Or do they choose the narrow and more difficult road? Will they be like a good tree who bears good fruit or one that is full of rot and decay and should be cut down and thrown into the fire? Will they be a faithful follower, albeit imperfect, who has a relationship with Jesus through this life, or someone that Jesus looks at in the end and says, I never knew you. I think as we look at this last part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see that a true follower of Jesus lives every day aware that what they do in this life now matters in the life to come. Let me repeat that. A true follower of Jesus lives every day aware that what they do in this life now matters in the life to come. So let's get right to it. Chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel account. Jesus continues teaching the people with verse 1. He says this, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. This, this little section of Jesus' sermon is, is, is one of the most loved and, and quoted verses by people who know nothing about the Bible or about the context in which Jesus was speaking here. And in an effort to excuse whatever bad behavior they've shown, what we do, what do we hear? We hear, hey, don't judge me. That's in the Bible somewhere, I think. You know, if, if, if we don't know any different, we think that what this verse means is that we're, we're just supposed to keep quiet, tolerate every destructive worldview, and never correct someone when we see them heading down a, a dangerous path. This verse has to be one of the most misquoted and misunderstood pieces of Jesus' teaching. And it's taken on a whole life of its own, going far beyond what Jesus said to his original listeners. This verse doesn't say that we are to never correct another person whenever we see them living in a way that is contrary to a follower of Jesus. What it does say is that when we do that, it can only be done after a lengthy time of self-reflection and humility. I, I, have, a, I have a good friend 
who whenever I mention to them a person that I'm struggling with or frustrated by or, or angry with and, and about how messed up they are, that he always reminds me, he goes, hey, you know, aren't we all, aren't we all messed up in one way or another? Don't we all have those issues that just rot us from the inside out? And I'm always like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. They need as much grace as I need. And I love that because I need to be reminded often that I'm no better than anyone else. And I may look at something that someone else struggles with and think, I can't believe that they're like that, ignoring all the while that all the issues and sin that I struggle with myself. Or to use Jesus' analogy, I, I, I want to complain about the speck of dust in someone's eye while well, I've got a huge wood log stuck in my own. It's, it's hypocrisy. And it doesn't fit with the characteristics of a faithful disciple of Jesus. So, before you go down the road of confronting a person about their sin or, or before you go and make a judgment about them, you make sure you remember that you are only saved by the grace of God which was given freely to you and was nothing you could ever earn on your own. Maybe you don't know the whole story. Maybe you don't have 100% clear vision of the situation, especially if you've got a big log stuck in your eye. Don't be arrogant toward others while being ignorant of yourself. Now, Jesus doesn't say here that we're supposed to let everyone do just whatever they please and never have a conversation with them. That's not loving. He says, just make sure that you remember the grace given to you first and you evaluate your own life before you talk with them. And if you want to hold everyone to a standard that you yourself can't even reach, that's fine. Just know that that will be the standard God holds you to then. And that's not going to turn out well for you. Kindness and compassion is what converts, not being judgmental. And we never stop loving people and remembering that God can save anyone, even someone as wretched as ourselves. And as you talk with people having the right perspective, speaking out of love and grace, there may come a time, there may come a time when people have to be left to live out the consequences of their own actions. Verse 6 doesn't mean that you give up on them. You pray, and you pray hard, and you wait for other opportunities when they might be more receptive to more conversations. Jesus continues, and he now shifts to the subject of prayer. Verse 7, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You, parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? 
I've shared this before, but I don't think anything has helped me better understand my relationship with God, my heavenly Father, than when I became a father myself. And if you're a decent parent, you get this, all right? We love our kids most of the time. And most of the time, I want to, I want to give them things that make them happy and fulfilled. And I want to see the joy on their face when they receive something that they've asked for or the relief when I've done something for them to help them out. But being a good and loving father, it, it doesn't mean that I, I give them everything that they ask for. There are things that you don't give them that they may want simply because they lack some perspective or life experience or maturity. For them to have certain things would not be healthy or beneficial. My son, Dylan, when he was, when he was little, he wanted so badly to dig a huge hole in our backyard for this underground lab of some sorts. And I'm not sure exactly what he was, had in his mind that he was planning to do there, but I, I had to tell him, um, you know, buddy, I, I'm, I'm not going to let you do that. I don't, I don't think that's something that would be a good idea for you to do or a good idea for our backyard. And he was little. He was probably seven or eight. He just lacked the the understanding of how to create a, you know, a structurally sound room that's underground and the things that you might run into taking on a project like that. So naturally, God, who knows all and sees all and wants what's best for you, will answer some of your requests with no, some with yes, some with yes, but not yet. And you might not get everything that you ask for, but don't stop asking. Jesus says that there is something to consistent and persistent prayers. Remember, you're not trying to manipulate God into into getting what you want, but through persistent praying, a relationship is developed by which God forms you into the person that he wants you to be. So Jesus continues teaching about the characteristics of his disciples and now specifically with how we are to interact and and treat other people. And he says this in verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Now this is famously called what? The golden rule, right? We don't have to have thousands of of different rules for different situations. Jesus says, look, we can sum up the essence of the Old Testament with just one rule. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting that there were versions of this already circulating among other groups at this time. Confucius had a similar saying. Stoic philosophers, religious leaders, Jewish leaders, rabbis said a version of it, but in the negative. They would say, what you don't want done to yourself, don't do to others. It's said in the negative. More about restraining yourself. 
And Jesus comes along and he says, no, I want you to do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. It's in the positive. And it implies loving and caring for others proactively. It's very different. Now, this isn't a a prescription or a recipe for everything to go right in your life. Jesus never promises that people will return the favor. In fact, according to the first part of his sermon here, if you remember, Jesus promises the opposite. That because you align yourself with him, people will mock you, persecute you, lie about you, say all sorts of evil things against you. You can go ahead and expect that. But the disciple of Jesus treats others well regardless of how they may be treated. It's important to note that the motive of the golden rule is not so that others will love us back. The motive of the golden rule is that we treat others this way because we have been recipients of God's grace and good gifts, as it says in just the previous verse. I have, I have witnessed firsthand how so many of you live this verse out. I have seen you take, take meals to people who just went through some type of surgical procedure or just welcomed a newborn baby into their family. I've seen you sit with people in waiting rooms during some of an, some of an individual's most difficult moments of their life. I've seen you show up and love others in ways that makes no sense to outsiders, but is simply because you want to live this verse out. It's what you would want done for you if you were in that situation. Just about exactly one year ago, I had someone leave church with me at about the same time, and, and, and we walked out together. And I'm going to keep this person's name anonymous because I, I don't want to violate Matthew 6, verses 3 through 4, where we learned last week that Jesus wants our generosity be, to be done in private. But this person knows who they are. And we walked out together, and he saw the, he saw the tires on my vehicle. And he made a comment in passing about how, how bald my tires were looking. And I was in a hurry to get home, and I just said a, a quick response to something like, yeah, that's, that's one of the many things I need to do. Thought nothing of it, went home. Then next week, he came up to me with about 10 other guys who are all probably in this, in this room right now. And they handed me an envelope. They had pulled their money together and they wanted to give it to me to get new tires. In fact, they, there was more in the envelope than what the tires would cost and so it allowed me to get some other things fixed too. And I don't, I don't typically cry. I'm not a crier, but I do get a lump in my throat where I can't talk. In that morning right there, I couldn't talk. I was, I was blown away. And he said, look, I've already talked to the guys down at Markle 66, and here's what they recommend. Here's how much it's going to cost. And they're just waiting on you to call them to set up an appointment. I was, I was speechless. I was the recipient of a group of guys living out Matthew 7, 12, the golden rule. 
There was another time that our, our dishwasher went out. And so I, I hopped on the Facebook marketplace. I looked around to see if there was anyone who had one for sale. And I thought, you know, I'd, I'd much rather buy one from someone I know so I'm not getting a, you know, a hunk of junk. And, and, and so I just, I just posted on Facebook. I said, hey, does anyone out there have a used under-the-counter dishwasher for sale? Ours just quit. The comments came in and said things like, hey, that's what kids are for. Don't you have some of those? <laughs> but very shortly after I posted that, I, I, I get a phone call from someone from our church who also remained anonymous, and they said, hey, I talked to Deweese down in Warren, and we picked out a good model for you. They're going to hook you up and just send me the bill. I, 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 was, I was blown away. And so I got back on Facebook, and and I said, I made another post that said, hey, I'm looking for a new Chevy Silverado truck if anyone has one. I said, hey, if that's how this thing works, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm just kidding about that. I didn't do that. Both times just blew me away, but it it shouldn't. I mean, you, you all take... Jesus is teaching seriously, and you love one another generously. I just happened to be the one that day that got to be the recipient of it all, and I'm so thankful. I told my kids all about it when it happened, both times, and, and because I wanted them to know about how great our church is and how great the people are who, who live out the teachings of Jesus here. I went, we don't know what we'd do without you. Jesus continues in verse 13. He says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. I I love that the the phrasing here that the NLT uses. Thanks to the theologians of ACDC, we all know about the highway to hell. And Jesus, again, here boils everything down and simplifies it for his followers. He says, look, life has two options, just two, and it's your choice which road you choose. But they are traveling in completely different and opposite directions and with completely different and opposite destinations. And you might have, you might have heard this phrase before, that your direction determines your destination, Remember, our theme through this whole chapter is that a true follower of Jesus lives every day aware that what they do in this life now matters in the life to come. And so you have to choose which direction you're going to take because they don't end up in the same place. These roads don't run parallel to each other and so you can have one foot on both roads. The truth of the matter is that we often hop back and forth between the two. But thank God for his never-ending love and forgiveness whereby we can recognize that our life is, is heading down a bad road. And so we can repent, change course, change our direction, get back onto that narrow, difficult road that leads to true life. Jesus says, your most important decision in life, it has just two options. But beware, there are those who say that they are on the narrow path, but their life doesn't match up with their words. They're con men. 
They're frauds, they're deceivers, and they're lost on that highway to hell. Listen to Jesus in verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes bushes, or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Call them by, by many names, posers, frauds, hypocrites. They, they have the power to deceive many because they look legit. They say the right stuff. It seems like they're the real deal. But when you pull back the curtains of their life, it's just full of rot and decay. And a tree that is full of that can't produce ripe, juicy, healthy fruit. How do you know if someone is an authentic follower of of Jesus? How do you know if you are an authentic follower of Jesus? You inspect the fruit. And Paul tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians 5.22. He says that true disciples exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness is in there too. I missed that one. If you have those fruits hanging on the limbs of your life, then you are what Jesus calls a good tree. But if you're looking at that list and you're thinking, look, I don't, I don't always do those things very well. First off, welcome to the club. That doesn't mean you're disqualified. That just means that maybe you've disconnected yourself from the vine. Or maybe you've ignored some things and neglected that life-giving water that God provides. Or you've allowed things to come in and choke off your roots. This past spring, Sydney, my daughter, she wanted to uh, try her hand at having a, a small garden. And she was so excited. So she, and she gave me permission to share this story. So I, I built her a, a raised garden bed, and we filled it with nutrient-rich soil, and she planted all kinds of stuff, carrots, cucumbers, and peppers, and tomatoes, and all the seeds got in, and she was so proud of herself. She, we actually took a photo to uh, commemorate the occasion. We've got it here. There it is. Our brand-new garden, ready to go. We knew that it would just be a matter of time before we'd start to see little green shoots popped through the soil and sure enough that happened and she was so excited again more we took more photos were taken to commemorate the occasion we got two here's another one there they are they're coming up we knew that eventually we'd have those nice big juicy vegetables that but we don't know anything about anything when it comes to gardening and there were several weeks when uh, Sydney was gone either for camp or for CIY or for her mission trip, and it was my job to make sure stuff got watered every day, okay? I did my best, all right? Okay, well, I tried. Okay, to be honest, I really didn't remember uh, to get it watered like it was supposed to. Things got really busy, you know? It got really hot outside, which is just not fun to be out there. And tending a garden really wasn't 
so much fun anymore. And so it got neglected, okay? Like, really neglected. And nothing was growing, and it didn't look like anything we imagined it would be. And I went out there just this past week, and I took a, a few pictures. Here we go. We got, we got one more, a little close-up. You can see. Nice, nice. Cute. <laughs> Do we have any gardeners? Are we have any gardeners in the room today? Yeah, I'm, I that my hand is not going up. It looks horrible. There's weeds everywhere. There's you know there's you know we had had cucumbers. I think that's what those were. I'm not really sure, but because they didn't get taken care of, they just fell off and they just rotted. I mean, there were tomato plants with no tomatoes, and there were carrots were nowhere to be found. Our our garden looks like a total disaster. And healthy fruit and vegetables, they they can't grow if the garden's not tended to correctly. And in the same way, our lives, if, if disconnected from Jesus and ignored over time, it won't produce anything of value for the kingdom. I want you to listen to what Jesus said at another time with his disciples as it's recorded in John chapter 15, verse 4. He said this, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. If you're looking at that list of fruit by the Apostle Paul and thinking to yourself, I can't can't do this. I can't be good enough to have those kinds of characteristics in my life. I'm a horrible follower of Jesus. Yes. That's the point. We can't do those things on our own. And one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy is to convince us that we just have to do more and then we'll be good enough in God's eyes and everything will be fine. Hear me, church. You can't be good enough. Remember, all of those, these things are not a to-do list in order to become a disciple of Jesus. These are the characteristics that we strive for because we want our lives to be lived out of gratitude for the grace that has been given to us by God. God knows you can't do this. That's the point. That's why he sent Jesus. And that's why you don't earn your salvation, but rather he gives it to you as a free gift because you can't do it on your own. And so we're all on these different points of that spectrum. Some of you are brand new and you're starting to understand what it means to walk on that narrow road. Others of you have been doing it for decades and for decades God has been forming in you into being more and more like Jesus every day. Some of you have been deceived and have deceived yourself and you're hoping you're good enough but you've been trusting in your own good works and you've totally missed the point. You need to repent, change course, Set a new direction and live a life of obedience because of how grateful for you are for all that God has done for you. Jesus wraps up his, his core teaching on the Sermon on the Mount with verses 21 through 23. He says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. In the end, there's no fooling Jesus. He knows your heart. And he knows if you're trusting in your own good works to get you through or if you're completely and totally spiritually bankrupt with nothing of your own to stand on other than the complete and total grace of God. Posers don't get into the kingdom. Pretenders, they don't get a pass. People who look like they've got it all together but are rotten from the inside out, they don't make it. Only those who live a life of obedience because of gratitude are in. Those who know that in the end they have nothing of their own efforts to stand on, but stand only because of Jesus and the total and complete grace of God. Those are the ones who Jesus looks at in the end and he says, I know them. I know that one. They're mine. I heard this really incredible interview just recently about a, a, the country music star Granger Smith. Do we have any country music fans in the house today? If you not too many, okay. Well, well, Granger Smith is 43 years old. He's he has uh, toured the the uh, country music world for 24 years. He's been around for a while. He has 11 studio albums, one live album, two EPs. He won the CMT Music Award for Quarantine Video of the Year. And he has really just achieved the, you know, the American dream of fame and money. And he's got a beautiful family, a picture-perfect life. Back in 2019, though, a, a horrible tragedy happened. And it put him on a path of real self-evaluation and authentic commitment to Jesus that's rarely heard of from people who achieve his level of success. It was June 4th of 2019, and and Granger was in the backyard playing with his kids. His oldest daughter was practicing gymnastics, and he was helping her do some handstands, and his two boys were running around playing with water guns. It was just a perfect moment. You know, a, a beautiful Texas day in June, and He was trying to just soak it all in. And as he was enjoying his family, he had the thought, hey, wait, wait, where's River? River was their their three-year-old youngest son, and although he was just running around moments ago, was now face down in their pool. And although they had a gated and locked pool, River somehow made it past the barricades. He fell into the pool, couldn't get out, and he drowned. And Granger jumped in, pulled him out, but it was too late. His little body was lifeless and and cold, and he was gone. The next six to seven months were some of the darkest moments of Granger's life. And although he tried to submerge himself in self-help books and devotionals and exercise and meditation and eating right and sleeping right, it, it just made things worse. And his mind played a, a never-ending loop of guilt and shame and regret 
that he couldn't free himself from. He said he was literally going insane. And it all hit rock bottom when on tour with his band, Granger finished up a show in Boise, Idaho. And the show went actually really well. And afterwards, he and his band decided to hit a local bar for some drinks to celebrate. Things were seemingly starting to look up in his life. And when after having a little bit too much to drink, he had the simple thought of, wow, I don't think I've been this tipsy since the accident. And that was all it took. The brief hiatus that his mind took in playing that loop of guilt and shame and regret came back in full force and he went back to his tour bus a mess and wanting to just be free from the pain and the, that his mind was putting him through he opened up a drawer uh, on the bus and pulled out his 9mm Glock pistol and he stood there for what seemed like an eternity with his finger on the trigger ready to end everything he started to think about his older kids and his wife who never once blamed him for letting this happen to their three-year-old baby boy. And with his gun still in his hand, he dropped to his knees and cried out to Jesus, simply saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And in that moment, the slideshow loop of his mind stopped. And he was left in a, a crumpled up heap on the floor in the middle of his tour bus. He said that up until this point, he was a, a cultural Christian. You know, he, he believed all the right stuff, but there really wasn't any evidence of a grateful and transformed life. And so he said, if the name, this name, this name of, of Jesus was powerful enough to stop the, the loop in his mind, then he needed to fully surrender to that name. And surrender he did. He got rid of all the self-help books and he submersed himself into the Bible and all the teachings of Jesus. And he said this, he said, as I was reading the Bible, I was coming across things with a new heart and eyes opened. And he said, during my healing, I was reading things like Mark eight thirty six, where Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. And then he goes on to say, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Those words would just rock him to his core. Because up until this point, he's touring, he's going out on stage, he's singing to large crowds, he's pumping out his music to a large fan base. He was, in his own words, glorifying himself. And he said he wasn't able to reconcile the self-exaltation with Jesus' words about taking up your cross. And so this past April, he announced that this year's tour would be his last. And actually concluded just about a week ago on August 26th. He said he's going to pour into his local church right outside of Austin, Texas, finish pursuing a seminary degree, and pour into the people who are broken and hurting with stories similar to his. There simply wasn't the time to pursue country music anymore. And I quote, I have something more important to do. If you want to see an example of a good tree that is bearing good fruit, look at Granger Smith. He is a 
true follower of Jesus who lives every day aware that what they do in this life now matters in the life to come. So what about you? Do you live every day fully aware that your choices and destinations today dictate your direction and ultimately your destination? Which path are you on? Is your life generating rich, life-giving fruit, or does it look like my garden? Rotten, full of weeds, not producing anything of value for the kingdom. Are you listening to the words of Jesus and trying hard every day to be more and more like the person he describes, or have you deceived yourself into believing that you're good enough? The answer isn't do more, be more, check off more boxes. The answer is obedience out of gratitude for the gift you've already been given and can't earn. Thank God for the forgiveness that we receive and the saving that we receive day after day after day. God is not just the God of second chances, but the God of third chances, fourth chances, so on and so on. So every week, we take communion together. And we take it to be reminded of the death that Jesus endured for us so that we could be made right with God. But it also allows for a time of of quiet reflection. Where have we gotten off track? Does Jesus look at you and does he say, I know him. I know her. They don't always listen. They, They get it wrong a lot of the time, but they're mine. We want you to take some time to just quietly think about the direction your life is heading. To think about the sacrifice that was made for you so that you could receive salvation and true life if you want it. Repent where you need to repent. Confess where you need to confess. Commit to life on that narrow road as hard as it may be. And remember... If you're on the wide path, it leads to destruction. There is no happily ever after at the end. But if you're on the narrow path, this is our hell. This is life as bad as it gets. So take some time, a few moments, to reflect and pray. Then we'll come back together and have communion all together.
Jesus started this practice on the night before he was betrayed, arrested, and crucified. And he said that when you eat this bread, think about what it represents. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said that when you drink this juice, also think about what it represents. He said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Will you stand please and let's pray together. Oh, Father God, forgive us. Forgive us when we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're good enough. We can't live up to the standard because the standard's perfection. The standard is be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We can't do that. Thank you that you have provided a way for us to be right with you. Thank you for sending us Jesus. Thank you that you have laid out the characteristics of a true disciple as Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Help us not to just hear these words and and think, oh, that's good stuff, that's good teaching. No, help us to apply it to our life, to live it out daily, to live that narrow road as hard as it may be. I pray that you encourage all of us together. You know, we come together to live out that golden rule. God, you've given us a great church. We're thankful for that. But we're mostly thankful for the one that we gather because of, and we sing because of, and we live our lives because of, and his name's Jesus. It's in his name we worship. It's in his name we live. It's his name we pray. Amen. Amen.